Well, howdy doody. Hi there, it's Simon. Let's get all the formalities out of the way. Representing social media for I Actually Love Real Science. The Facebook made me take the swear words out, which, you know, that's probably a good thing. Uh, for every human, that's with a four, which makes it a really difficult thing to tell people about on um, verbally. Auditory? Auditory? Auditorology? I don't know. Um, there's uh, also Trending Human, my post-humanist thing, which doesn't get much of a look in, really, at the moment. And I was on ABC Radio today talking about Brisbane. ABC Radio Brisbane, local. Talking about volcanoes because of... Now, I'm going to try not to butcher it. I've just finished work. I'm, I'm coughing my lungs up every five minutes. So, by the way, if I cough, I'm getting over a cold. So, that's a thing. It's far grad das kal al... Ak, Fagradasak, or something like that. Anyway, it's Iceland, it's a volcano. They have ice volcanoes in Iceland. A couple of years ago was the one Ifalutin, you, what, I don't have it in front of me, so I'm not going to try and pronounce it. That had the lightning storms and everything, it was really cool. This one's a bit more tame by comparison. I have talked about plate tectonics before, probably more than once. I am a geologist at the end of the day. But, so I'm going to talk about it again with contextual relevancy I'm actually gesticulating when I say that when the long pauses I'm usually because I'm pointing at something uh, I'm, I'm driving I'm just pointing at things anyway so broadly two kinds of vulcan broadly broadly there's three kinds of volcanism rift which comes from spreading ridges or mid or mid-ocean ridges then arc volcanism or subduction related volcanism which comes from subduction zones, funnily enough, and then plume volcanism, like Hawaii, which comes from just rising body of magma burning a hole in the crust. Whether that be oceanic or continental crust, it doesn't really matter, that's just plume, thing coming up. So, Iceland at the moment, Iceland is always, without a doubt, um, rift volcanism, always. And I'll tell you why. Because it actually, Iceland is the mid-Atlantic ridge. If you jump on Google Maps and you have a look at the Atlantic Ocean, turn the satellite on, because obviously just nothing isn't going to be helpful. Chuck the satellite on. (coughs) There, sir. (coughs) And um, you'll have a look and you'll see that there is a jagged line with intervals of horizontal lines going all the way up roughly the middle of the Atlantic. And I'm gesticulating wildly again to no one. And that is the Mid-Atlantic Ridge. All right. Quick refresher. All of plate tectonics is driven by heat. By heat loss from the core of the world. Um, some of it, not all of it, some of it, sorry, is uh, it's like pressure is being driven, pushed around by the other plates jostling for position and things like that. But the larger underlying mechanism is always heat moving through the earth from the core to the out because of the second law of thermodynamics which roughly translates to cold things want to be cold and hot things uh, sorry cold things want to be hot and hot things want to be cold blah 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 and it whoa just started raining anywho don't know what that was surprising anyway um so rifts come from oceans being torn apart when you have a new ocean being born now that can either just happen because the oceanic crust is particularly thin in that spot. Um, all right, I need to go back actually again there. Just underneath the crust of the planet is the so the next layer down is called the mantle. The mantle makes up 
like a good third of the entire planet just by itself. Probably actually more than that. Probably closer to half. It's big. It's very thick. Um, that's where volcanoes come from, ostensibly. They come from deep in the mantle. The topmost section of the mantle is called the asthenosphere, and that translates literally to just below the surface. And it's just under the crust. It's one of many transition layers from the crust down to the mantle. This heaps, I'm not going to go into it, is really dull. Well, that's not, I like it, but you'll find it dull. Now, the asthenosphere is hot and pressurized. Anytime anyone discusses the core of the world, the really relevant information you need is that it is extremely hot. We're talking tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of degrees Celsius. Probably not hundreds, but tens of thousands. And pressure. Now, I'm not going to give you a label for the pressure because that's largely arbitrary, but it's considerably higher than anything you'll get on the surface of the Earth and occurring naturally, like orders of magnitude higher. Um, it's a kettle, basically. It's a big, strong box kettle. So anytime you weaken the crust above it, you get spreading ridges or you get plumes or you get something because think of it this way, like I, I've never had a good analogy for this to describe this phenomenon, but when the pressure drops, material starts. So say if you take, if you just got rid of Antarctica, there is actually rock under all that ice. It's been pushed down quite some way by the ice, but if you just removed all the ice the continent would then start to bounce back up because it hasn't got the pressure of the ice anymore when that pressure comes off the asthenosphere which is the, that next layer down will start to depressurize and when things that are under pressure depressurize they get larger the other thing that happens in high pressure scenarios is that not only do things expand they also get hotter that seems counterintuitive, but when something depressurizes in the middle, in the center, like the deep earth, it gets hotter than the surrounding rock, and that causes a melt. And a melt can become a cascade reaction that then starts to melt other rock around it, and because it is more hotter and it's more, mo mo more mobile, the mantle is still technically a fluid, i.e. like a superfluid, it moves very, very slowly. Um, and the molten stuff moves a lot faster, it's more motile, mobile, probably not describing in terms of poop. Anyway, um, so it moves and it wants to be away from the high pressure system, so it's like squirting water out of a bladder, all right? <coughs> when you squeeze it, when you put pressure on it, it's gonna go where the hole is, and the hole is always up. So that's kind of the basic tenets of volcanism. Now, the two things, big tectonic things, spreading ridges and plate tectonic, uh, and sorry, and subduction zones. I'll start with subduction zones because they're a little bit more tricky. Oceanic crust is different from continental crust. Oceanic crust is obviously where the oceans are, well, why there's that great big depth, because it's thinner. It's in the order of 10 to 15 kilometers thick. Continental crust is maybe three to four to five to up to 10 times thicker because of mountains. Its continents are mostly granite. Mostly granite. Oceanic crust is mostly basalt. Now these, these chemically are very similar beasties, but granite is much, much less dense than basalt. Basalt is very dense. Granite is very not as dense. 
I'm sure I could have done better than that. So the continents are lighter than the oceans, oceanic crust. And that's kind of why they're on top, because they're not as dense. They float on top like a weird, like, 100 trillion ton marshmallow on soup made of rock. Anyway, I think I exhausted that analogy. So... Now, when oceanic crust hits continental crust and the tectonic forces are pushing those two together, <coughs> invariably what happens, or what happens, is... Now, actually, two things can happen. One, you can get a stable pressure, a stable margin, which is it's just called a stable margin, all right? Nothing happens. It hits, they equal, the pressure between the two equalizes, the continental crust and the oceanic crust are sitting next to each other, a passive margin, and nothing happens. The forces equal out, there's some faults and everything like that, there's a little bit of pressure, but that's normal, and nothing happens. That happens sometimes. The southern edge of Australia is a passive margin. That's why we don't have a lot of volcanoes. In fact, the, the plate, anyway, doesn't matter, we won't go into that. Active margins are subduction zones. So when, when the forces aren't balanced, and that light continent comes up against that dense crust, the, the oceans, the oceanic crust is going to go underneath. Does that make sense? Not sure why I asked that question. You can't really say no at this point, or yes. So I'll say it again, just in case. Subduction zones are where, when the oceanic crust and the continental crust meet, the oceanic crust goes underneath the continental crust because it is colder, because of the water, it is more dense, and it is, it's, it's the geological term to describe it is it's more mafic. It's got heavier elements, more dense elements, things like that. <coughs> when that subduction zone is going under, it goes in down into the asthenosphere and down into the mantle. We're talking hundreds of trillions of tons of rock slipping underneath. It sounds like someone standing on a banana peel, but it's really not. Like, it is, analogously, but, like, these forces are immense. <coughs> and... Let's just turn that fan down. It's hitting my lungs. And then you've got... So you've got this cold, hard, dense, hard, brittle thing, oceanic crust, going into the mantle. Now, when you put cold things inside hot things, things don't react very well. That's how you break stuff. That's how you, you know, things go catastrophically wrong. So as a result of that, it starts to melt because of the vast differences in potential energies between the two, two rocks. So it's a cold thing going into a hot thing, then the cold thing will start to melt and the local hot thing will start to melt as well and it'll start to mix. Gotcha. So, you've got mixing of the... So, you've got melting of that oceanic crust. And then that rises, burns a hole through the continent, and erupts in volcanoes. And that is subduction volcanism. With... The examples of this are the Andes. Well, think about them. It's really... Think about what that looks like. If you don't look at South America, you're looking at Chile... Uh, you're looking at that entire southern, the uh, western side of South America that took me too long to work out. Um, and you'll see it's this 
look at Google Maps again with satellite on and you'll see it's got this really interesting kind of depth to it. That's a subduction zone. And the volcanoes that are right on the coast are the arc volcanism that's being produced by the subducted arc of oceanic crust. <coughs> now, the important thing to take away from this is that oceanic crust is not just rock anymore. It is incredibly, like, when the, when the subduction happens and the crust goes underneath the continents, the top layer of the what's on the ocean crust, so the organic goo, millions of years of stuff dying and leaving behind shells and bones and skeletons and then kind of merging into something that's the bottom of, the, of all the oceans called pelagic ooze. Google it, it's kind of really disgusting and awesome at the same time that's on top there's like several hundred meters if not kilometers of ooze pelagic ooze and carbonaceous material of just millions and years of dead stuff and that gets scraped off the top but not all of it <coughs> so you have this scenario where you're melting oceanic crust so you're getting melted basalt which is always full of nice delicious volatiles and you're also um, melting um, carbonaceous material which is much much more so volatile and angry arc volcanism produces the most spectacularly explosive volcanoes that's just how it works because of that introduction of carbonaceous materials all right now hold on to that because we're going to the other side of things now so, sorry about the coughing. It's been with me for weeks. And, you know, I'll just get on with it. Anyway. So, now we're up to the rift. So, if a subduction zone is things colliding and slipping underneath, a, a, middle, a ridge, a middle of mid-ocean ridge, is spreading. It's the opposite of that. So, the material, the oceanic crust, is actually thinning. Because it's pulling apart, it's creating a structural weak point in the center. Now, if you've got subduction zones on either side of a spreading ridge, and most of the time on the Earth you do, but not always, most of the time, sometimes it's not slipping, it's just pushing the continent, and it's meeting that force and going with it, rather than slipping down. It's actually pulling the crust apart because that whole oceanic slab, thousands and thousands of kilometers, is being pulled underneath and it's, it's splintering the middle where those two sides are pulling apart. And think about that pressure, as, as I said, of the asthenosphere. When you thin the rock above it, the pressure gradient, so the point where its crust, the crust ends and the mantle begins, or the asthenosphere begins, gets higher and higher and higher until right in the middle of a spreading ridge, there is no crust, it's a rift into the center of the earth and it's not a hole before anyone gets any cool images of what that is it's not a hole it's just rock all the way down to the bottom it's cats all the way down guys it's rock sorry rock all the way down <coughs> and yeah so sorry just playing with my um windscreen wipers and then so it's pure it's not this melty, hum, like, hetero, like a homo, like, no, no, heterogeneous, 
carbon-rich stuff of the subduction zones, it is pure, undifferentiated basalt, or fractionated basalt. It is very simplistic stuff. It oozes. It doesn't erupt. It doesn't blow up mountainsides. It just tends to ooze. <coughs> now, the Mid-Atlantic Spreading Ridge goes all the way down to the Southern Ocean and all the way up to the Northern... Uh, the nor like, most of the way to the Northern Pole or the Northern Ocean. Iceland is the only place on Earth where a spreading ridge manifests at the surface. Normally, it is at the bottom of the ocean, fathoms and fathoms deep, where you can't really get to it to have a good, you know, look-see. It is on the surface. And there are people there, many people. That is why Iceland gets so many volcanoes, because this is literally the surface expression of an underwater phenomenon, largely underwater phenomenon, that is constantly erupting, constantly producing new material. And there's a cool thing about this. When, when material is ejected underwater, you get these things called pillow basalts. Fire and water don't mix, and lava and water don't really mix. What happens when the new material is ejected? Now, I should say that the it's not constant, constant. I mean, it's constant enough to constantly to be always creating new oceanic crust. This is the eruptions, but it's not. When I say constantly erupting, I'm talking about timescales larger than human lives, so it's not infinitely noticeable all the time. These timescales are all in the millions of years, so we brief fleshy mortals don't see it happening. It's just beyond our ken. In fact, I can go into a bit of that later about how we discovered it. So, when material is ejected underwater, I mean, it's water. It instantly cools the lava. So, as the lava is getting pumped out, the water is cooling a shell around it because it's already quenched. It's called fr quench fragmentation. Quenched the outer layer of that lava and created, like, a shield. But the point source of that effusion, of that eruption, is still there. So, it's still filling it up like a balloon. And it creates these tremendous-sized pillows, these spherical, or spherically organized, like when you see them in fossils, in, in rock faces, in Iceland, there's these spherical basaltic formations, and they don't exist anywhere else. They're fascinating to look at. If you want to see pictures, they're called pillow basalts. They're really cool. <coughs> so... That's, that's Iceland. It, it's a manifestation on the surface of a deep ocean phenomenon, phenomenon. And it's cool. That's why you tend to get these really gentle volcanoes like the one at Fragradalsjak. I think that's right. I'm not going to say it faster. Um, yeah, that's where you get those really... If you just... Just pouring stuff out. That can go on for decades, if not thousands of years, who knows, Mauna Loa's been doing, like Hawaii's been doing that for generations, you know, like, every, every time you see, say, if you watch Jurassic Park or Lost, I think it was, um, you have these beautiful shots of these towering mountains, and you can kind of make out layers in them, every one of those layers is a lava, is, is an episode of eruption, yeah, because that's how they differentiate it, but it just keeps going and going and going, 
Now plumes are like rift volcanism with one notable difference. They don't they're not they don't happen because of te- directly because of plate tectonics. They happen because something has caused uh, a part of the mantle to heat up and start to melt and go through that process of heating and melting and runaway heating and melting and depressurizing and then rising like a balloon. And if you look at the Hawaiian Islands, the Pacific plate is moving, but the plume is not. So get your finger, put your finger, point it upwards, get the flat of your hand and put it over the top. I'm not going to do this because I need at least one hand to drive. (coughs) And then put your hand and move your hand across. I just did it. (laughs) And then move your hand across your finger. That's the plate boundary going over the plume. And that's why you get island chains that are from plumes because it'll burn a hole erupt a bunch of stuff but then the plate will move on and it'll have to burn another hole and erupt more stuff and neither the movement the movement is more consistent than the eruptions are the fluid will try to rise but it stops it cools it starts it go blah 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 it has a they have complicated histories but that's why you get chains because it's constantly burning holes in now that's plumes plumes are really straightforward they're usually just basalt basaltic lavas they can be juicier back in the early earth they were really exciting um, there is a particular kind of ex- now thoroughly extinct volcanics volcanics types that can't happen anymore because the earth's too cold called kimberlites that's where most of the diamonds on the earth came to the surface brought up from deep beneath if you don't know diamonds are just carbon but they need to be formed at really high pressures and temperatures well below well beyond what happens on the surface and so they can only be formed in the deep earth very deep earth and they're brought up by these incredibly hot volcanoes that all happened very early in the earth's history and they're called kimberlites the the lava that erupted from those guys um ran it was so hot it ran like olive oil it would have dribbled across the horizon and destroyed everything in its path it was about three to five thousand degrees celsius when it erupted that's crazy high. Lava on the Earth now, when it erupts, goes between 800 and 1250, depending on things. That's about the maximum. This was three to 6,000 degrees. Like, that's holy shit territory. But yeah, they can't happen anymore. The Earth is just simply not hot enough to do it. So you get less and less plumes as time goes on on a planet because the mantle becomes more pure. And when there's more pure, there's less chemical things that can go on that create these localized instabilities that then melt and rise as a plume and blur. <coughs> so that's basic volcanism. Like, it's all from this, this, this tectonic engine that is all from heat, it's all from pressure. Now, here are the little interesting things. There are three kinds of rocks. Igneous, sedimentary and metamorphic let's leave metamorphic for the moment because it's not relevant to this discussion and it's like difficult to explain sedimentary means sedimentary means fluid it's fluid transport igneous means internal fire an igneous intrusive event is one that doesn't erupt well it might erupt but it's it's so when I just when I used this word earlier to describe a volcanic, when I was saying it was mafic, mafic is acidic. 
on the pH scale, a mafic volcano like a basalt, a nice dark basaltic lava, is mafic to ultramafic, which means it's acidic. It's acidic. The other end of the spectrum is what ultimately produces granites and is called felsic. If there is a jarring change in the quality of the recording just now, then um, it's um, my phone decided it was a good time to stop recording while I was driving and I didn't notice. So there's a good 10 minutes of, I'm gonna think to call it really good talking about gabbros and dolomites and volcanoes and felsic lavas and things like that, that now doesn't exist like a wave. It was the water, that cool quote from Chidi from The Good Place. Right, so anyway, we've talked about, um, so matrix, acidic, matrix, ultramafic, and then you got the side, the fels, the, the, the granites, which are felsic, um, and that describes them. Granites are where the magma that's risen, it's gone into a chamber underneath the surface. They don't erupt. Like, there are examples when they have, but, and part of it has stayed. No, it, not really. Uh, um, an igneous event is one where it's internal. It stays internal. It doesn't erupt. That's the difference. And it granites are where the material has time to cool and it's got time to just like think of granite it's got these nice beautifully large crystals you know you've got quartzes and um now all of the names of the minerals have totally left my head <laughs> and i had them in the last version stupid phone um hornfells and amphibole and micas and these beautifully delicate silica structures they threw it um, granite's got time to grow because it's slow and it cools slowly. That means you get these nice big crystals. That's why granite's so gorgeous. Um, but that's the other type of sort of lava is, is, is these, um, is these granites. Okay. So that's that element of volcanology in that if you do get two kinds, that leads into a discussion about Mount St. Helens and arc volcanism and why it's so disruptive couple of like Pompeii and all of those people being buried all those Romans being buried in ash including the guy who was appears to have been jerking it which was you know you know I'm about to get married buried in ash you know why not the Mount Krakatoa which I will talk about in a moment I got really effusive about it before Mount St Helens blew the side of the mountain off because there was a rapid pressure change devolatilized and then boom bastards knock all the trees off for thousands of hundreds of meters got a bit excited there um mount cinnabon in indonesia goes off every now and again mount etna in sicily um the kamchatka peninsula in russia has an active volcano on it goes off so these are all arc volcanoes they're not rift volcanoes like iceland now I whatever it was a few years ago, a volcano in Iceland, that behaved like an arc volcano because the rising body of magma, which was still rift volcanism, encountered a carbonaceous, felsic material and it increased the volatile component of the lava, which means when it erupts, it goes gangbusters and you get these huge, towering volcanic plumes uh, and pyroclastic flows and lightning and lahars, mud, mud flows and all kinds of cool things but incredibly devastating things um they come from the introduction of carbonaceous material and felsic materials and really anything that's not these ultramafics 
So the basalts. Basalts are pure. Like, they're, they're, they're kind of pure. Pure is a dumb word to use to describe these, I'm realizing in hindsight. But it's not wrong. It's not inherently bad to say because in the mantle, the old mantle was really unhomogenized. Like, it was all over the place. There were different elements everywhere and... Um, it was like a soup, a really unmixed soup of craziness going on. Over the last million odd, like billion odd years, the, the mantle has really purified. It's really fractionated out into what it wants to be there. There is a whole series of words that describe this, like siderophile and chalcophile, um, and there's another couple I can't remember, that describe how rocks behave when it's like a siderophilic rock I think is silica so it prefers to go where the silica is which is the mantle uh, no sorry it's iron loving so it will go with the lava because there's more iron in the lava in the magma sorry <coughs> but now that the mantle is largely pure that's why I said there's less plumes now because the, the mantle's reached this state of homogeneity much more so than it was in the distant past it's kind of a sign that the Earth is middle-aged. Right? We've reached our quiet... Not, we're not senile, not yet, but we, we've reached our middle age. Anyway, the... So, rift alternism produces these really simplistic, straightforward lavas that don't tend to get all juicy unless they encounter, or luckily enough, have the juicy stuff in it that I've described that then gives you a more fantastic volcano rather than like more dangerous and devastating volcano than just the, the Hawaiian style or rift style effusive cover the fields in lava that's very pretty that we're seeing now in Iceland. The the larger ones, boy boy, I'm gonna tell you about a volcano. Late 1800s, it is the when this erupted, it was the loudest sound that science that, that we have ever heard. Now um, with, with new, this is because we don't know everything and blah, blah, blah. I'm sure there's bigger ones in the distant past and whatever. This is the loudest sound that's been ever been picked up. And there were recording devices this time. When Mount Krakatoa went off, it was what's called a phreatomagmatic event, which means, because it's in Indonesia, it's, well, I think it's Malaysia. I can't remember. Something to look up. When it erupted, it encountered the water table. It went boom. Water plus... Magma equals phreatomagmatism, which means, holy God, it goes boom in a big bloody way. When Mount Krakatoa went off, not only did everyone nearby pretty much die instantly from the shockwave, and then everyone in the half, the half a hemisphere had hearing loss, people with recording devices picked it up on the other side of the planet, like in Europe. That... I, <laughs> I am at a loss for words to how to describe that other than, oh, holy crap, that's huge. There is not a single corner of the earth that does not have particles that are traced back to that one eruption. It blanketed the earth in ash. Just particles, like only, not like nuclear winter style scenario, but particles from that volcano ended up on every corner of the world. It was huge. And the bang was heard around the world. The pyroclastic flows. So when these volcanoes erupt, 
they are erupting with such a high volatile compounds, and that comes from the carbon. Um, they aerosolize rock. They pump it out and blow it up with so much gas that the rock gets carried up in these volcanic plumes. They are not clouds. I'm going to say that again. The big cloudy stuff <laughs> over the top of volcanoes is not a cloud. <coughs> it is rock. It is literally rock that has been aerosolized. I, again, this is another one of those big hand-waving moments where I need you to understand how crazy that is. Aerosolized rock and gas and dirt and dust and fire. A pyroclastic flow is where one of these big clouds, part of it gets, it lose, either it loses internal cohesion through physics or gravity takes a hold or it stops getting as much motive force to go upwards and it collapses and it goes down the hillside. Um, I have seen a pyroclastic flow happen. I wasn't in its path. I was perfectly safe and we were just watching it go down the hill. And it was terrifying. Several hundred thousand tons of rock masquerading as smoke flowing down a hillside barreling down like an avalanche made of dirt, dirty grey to brown colours and the f intense red of liquid rock and fragmented liquid rock like the fires of hell chasing you down and rocketing down valleys and paths of least resistance down the mountainside at over a hundred kilometres an hour. There's a, there was a video online years ago of uh, locals trying to outrun a pyroclastic flow in the Congo and another video in Indonesia when they didn't make it. They were driving ahead of the flow. They were going hell, bat out of hell. The pyroclastic flow still got them. That's what did what did to Pompeii. Buries it, burns it, mummifies people. It is... It is pure devastation. Um, you talk about, say, Hawaiians venerate volcanoes. The Hawaiian faith venerates volcanoes. And their creator god is called Pele. She's the goddess of the volcano. She's the goddess of fire. But she's also the goddess of life and land. Because they understand that the, life, the land only exists because of volcanoes. Without the volcano, the, the, the island isn't there. And the volcano brings up all kinds of interesting nutrients that, when, well, well, materials that when it erodes, turns into really br brilliant nutrients for plants. Volcanic soils are amazingly productive. Couple that with its equatorial, like its position in the world, plenty of rainfall, bang, it's a tropical paradise. But the, the, lava, the, the lavas that happen aren't awful. I mean, they will wipe out whatever's in front of them, you, unless you have... You know, so you can airlift concrete barricades, which Iceland has to do every now and again. <coughs> you have no protection against lava. It's just going to barrel down and go wherever it goes. But cultures that developed alongside arc-style volcanism with pyroclastic flows, these were not healing goddesses and gods. These were not mother gods. 
they were invariably destructive. They were almost invariably male. They are fire and death and destruction. And that's the difference between volcanoes. You get video footage of these people playing soccer out the, outside the Icelandic volcano, and it's fine. You know, the biggest danger there is gas, sulfur dioxide, some carbon monoxide and carbon dioxide. Um, and they've got gas monitors. A few people have been gotten a bit too close at the wrong time and gotten sick. No one's died. It's just stupidity. It's great. People are there <laughs> having a good time. It's fun. They're playing soccer in front of lava fields, which would be good until you kick the ball into the lava, and then pop, bang, gone. But arc volcanism is entirely different. I mean, you ask a Hawaiian what, ref, re, um, what relationship they have with their volcanic deity versus what the Maoris had with their volcanic deity, you're going to get two extremely different conversations because um, New Zealand is arc volcanism. Um, I mean, there's a volcano in Ethiopia that occasionally burps these giant clouds of carbon dioxide that historically have just gone down the side of the mountain these big lens of air just pushing its way cohesively as a whole down the side of the mountain and encounters the nearest town and everyone dies in their sleep because all the oxygen's been replaced. <laughs> Good. Whoa, that's awful. So you don't get close to these waters. Arc volcanoes, they are monitored closely. The volcano that's monitored the most intensely is Yellowstone National Park. I've been talking now for 40 odd minutes. I don't think I should go into super volcanoes. That's a different thing entirely. Historically in the earth's in the sorry, well in the earth's history, there have been periods of these things called supervolcanoes or large igneous provinces or and this is the best description ever, continental flood basalts. For volcanoes that erupt for millions and millions of years and cover the entire continent in lava. Google the Colorado River and the, um, oh, the Grand Canyon. All those layers at the bottom, there's a whole bunch of sediments on top because it was, it was during the, the Mesozoic when all this happened. I oh, know earlier than that, actually, I think. Was during the Permian. The when this happened, it's just layer upon layer upon layer of lava again and again and again for millions of years. Continental flood basalts. These change the climate. They're extinction level events. There was one at the end of the dinosaurs called the Deccan Traps, which I really think was got more to do with the extinction of the dinosaurs than. Um, than the asteroid. Asteroid probably was the tipping point, but that's another conversation. So yeah, super volcanoes exist. The most monitored volcano in the world is Yellowstone National Park because it is a super volcano and it is a global changing event if it goes off. But it doesn't look like it will, and it may never. It's at the end of its life. But Mount, because of the devastation wrought by Mount St. Helens when it went off, very fiercely monitored. Mount Etna is always erupting lately, so it's really highly monitored. I follow a Facebook page that is literally just Mount Etna monitoring data. It's pretty interesting. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's like the difference is extraordinary between these two styles of volcanoes. 
rifts and plumes versus arcs. They're just, it's, it's, it's chalk and cheese. They're two totally different things. And I'll end on this. There is another kind of volcano. It's pretty cool. It's n- almost not a volcano. They're called carbonatites. They're in Ethiopia. The only time they've been popularized in movies that I recall was the second Tomb Raider movie back in the day, which is really showing my age. They had them in them. They are mud. They're what look like mud volcanoes. A local heat source of magma rises or just the heat. Heat doesn't have to rise as magma. It can just be a hot spot. Okay, so that's an important distinction. <coughs> so, and I'll, yeah, I'll end on this. These carbonatites are really cool. They erupt. The heat has risen. It has melted a lo- lo- um, section of the country rock, of the local rock. And it has, it has produced this magma that is like mostly carbonaceous material. But it's not hot enough that it turns into the volatile, hyper-eruptive, devastating arc-style volcanism. It just oozes what looks like hot mud. And the sheer amount of times, even today, that tourists think, oh, it's hot mud, I'll put my hands in the 280-degree lava. It's still molten rock, it's just not extremely molten rock, because carbonate rocks melt at a lower temperature. This is why it's not quite a volcano. It's, it's volcano-ish, but it's still cool. And interestingly enough, back to the whole volcanoes as life thing, these carbonatites are not that far away from where the cradle of humans, human species is, where we found skeletons going back to pre-human. It's where the mitochondrial Eve is, Lucy, was discovered. Google that if you don't know what it is. I'm not going to go into it now. It's a crazy different topic. <laughs> How unlike me. Um, but yeah. So where hum- humanity is thought to have originated, very volcanically active. Very. It's called the East African African Rift Valley. And it is an ocean. It is a beginning part ocean ridge like the mid-Atlantic. So yeah, in Ethiopia, where you see that chunk of Africa starting to split off, and you can see it on Google Maps, that's the African Rift Valley. And it is starting to rift. It's starting to become an ocean. In 100 million years, it'll be the size of the Atlantic. Probably twice that, actually, 200 million years. Yeah, if it keeps going, they fail all the time. There's half ones everywhere. Anyway, there's me bloviating about volcanoes for a while. I'm sorry for the middle bit. The tone and speed may have changed because there was a. I got home and cooled down and lost my effusiveness in the moment, so to speak. In the middle there. So I hope you, uh, hope you enjoy my bloviating style. I think there's a few more people listening now because of the ABC thing I did today. Um, if so, I hope you enjoyed my little talk about volcanoes. That's not all there is. I know I didn't say the beginning, for those of us that managed to get to the end. Uh, I do this on the way home from work because my computer commute is rather long, and, you know, why not? I'm a science communicator as well as a retail worker, so I should do something with my time. Driving home in the middle of the night is boring. I do this on totally unprepared. So I have done a podcast talking about um, quantum physics and the relationship to cognitive neuroscience. And I do it all based on what's in my head at that moment. I don't get a chance to do any research. I don't get a chance to uh, 
really create a proper lecture that'll tell you everything you need to know. So there's always going to be bits missing. I just talk about what's interesting and what occurs to me and what I remember. And it's just more fun that way. Um, this originally began as I cognitively recognized I wasn't doing anything with my science communication. And the first time you do anything, it's kind of crap. So I thought, why not I just do the podcast when I'm driving home, record it, put it online. And if it's crap, it's crap, getting the first ones out of the way. So that's why this exists. It's called Travel Thoughts because it's me, it's traveling, and I'm thinking, and then I'm bloviating about it. So thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed Volcanoes. They are really interesting. I love them. I'm a big fan of Volcanoes, hence why it was my specialty at uni. And thank you very much. Have a good Easter. Bye.